0: My name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This week, power to the people. As energy prices soar, is it time to re gas and electricity? And which would it cost? Is it even feasible? We'll be getting views from both sides of the argument.
1: I think it's hard to look at the energy system and think that it's working. If we look at the billions of pounds that are going to oil and gas company shareholders that could be used to pay for household bills but isn't, and when you look at how hard this is going to hit families across the UK, I think it really isn't working and it's going to be very unaffordable for people. People are going to have to be choosing between heating and eating and really feeling a crunch with this.
2: We haven't got a great track record of running nationalised companies on a commercial basis free from political interference. People have this idea that somehow state-owned companies are going to be well-run entities but actually what it takes for that to happen is they have to be run like
0: private companies. All that to come but first a reminder that the Byline Times doesn't have wealthy corporate backers. That's why we can report free of fear or favour. We rely for income entirely on people like you who take out a subscription to our brilliant monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. That helps fund this podcast, Byline TV, and our news-breaking website, BylineTimes.com, which is where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's BylineTimes.com. Sorry, Mike, you got to go. These British gas shares it couldn't be easier to do his number. And they send you information on how to apply. If you see Sid, tell him, won't you? Oi! Oh glad your ears will interest you. British gas shares. They come out in November. If you see Sid, tell him. That's an advert from three and a half decades ago promoting the sale of shares in British gas. The company had been taken over by the government in 1948 under Labour's Clement Attlee, but Margaret Thatcher wanted to expose energy supply to market forces and reverse that nationalisation in 1986. Electricity followed in 1990. But with UK energy prices set to increase by 54%, is it time to think again and put renationalisation back on the table? It should be acknowledged that the cost of gas has soared on the international market. As a result, Ofgem, the regulator, is raising the price cap, with the result that 22 million people in the UK will have to pay an extra £700 a year or thereabouts. The poorest customers, those with prepaid meters, will be hit the hardest. Chancellor Rishi Sunak has moved to cushion the blow by offering a one-off council tax rebate of £150 to around 80% of households in England, plus a £200 reduction in energy bills in October, although this is a loan that will have to be repaid over five years. Contrast this with the fortunes of the energy suppliers. Although more than 30 companies have gone bust in the last two years, the so-called Big Six suppliers made more than a billion pounds in profits between them in the last year. Oil producers BP and Shell have reported combined annual profits of more than £20 billion. Some politicians are calling for a windfall tax on the big energy firms, and there are voices calling for renationalization of the industry, including that of Cat Hobbs, founder and director of the pressure group We Own It.
1: Right now what we're seeing is that we have an energy system that is working for shareholder profits rather than working for the people of this country and with the cost of living crisis this is going to have a huge impact nearly £700 extra on people's Energy bills and six million households are likely to be plunged into fuel poverty when those bills go up on the 1st of April. And so, from our perspective, there's a few ways that we could be running our energy system for people rather than profit that would really, really help with the crisis that we've got right now. Number one, we would want to see a windfall tax on oil companies and investment in renewables. That is about saying these natural resources belong to all of us and they ought to be taxed for the benefit of all of us, and they ought to be working for the benefit of all of us. What we've seen is that other countries, countries like Norway and Denmark, have state-owned companies that are working for the benefit of their people, and in the UK, we just allow companies like BP and Shell to make a profit from our resources while contributing very, very little. So that's one thing. The second thing is we need to bring our energy networks into public ownership, It's quite important to understand with energy. You have the generation, how it's created, where it's coming from, whether that's renewables or whether that's fossil fuels. You have the transmission, which is the bit that National Grid does, which is the sort of high voltage taking the energy from where it's been produced across the country. Then you have the distribution. So we have a range of regional distribution companies for electricity and gas, which take the energy to your home or to your business. And then you have supply. And the supply companies, there is a market and we get to choose which company we want to use. But the supply companies don't really do very much. They don't actually take the energy to your home. They are just your supplier that deals with your bill effectively. So there's all always different components of the energy system. And we argue that all of it should be working for people rather than profit. So
0: would you nationalize the entire supply chain of energy then, right from generation, from what the likes of Shell and BP do, extracting oil and gas and sourcing renewable energy through transmission and distribution and onto supply as well?
1: I think what we would absolutely do straight away is we would nationalise the transmission and distribution. Those are private monopolies right now. So the UK is the only country in Europe, apart from Portugal, which has a privatized grid. And that's a situation where there is no competition, there is no market, and National Grid has made absolutely huge profits recently. So they made $1.4 in both 2020 and 2021. That's just a private monopoly. There's no justification when we get no choice about it. There is no consumer market. If you look at the regional distribution companies, again, we would say absolutely bring them into public ownership there is no competition there. So for example, if you are in the Northeast right now, then Northern Power Grid, which is your regional distribution company, is owned by the American conglomerate Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by the billionaire Warren Buffett. If you are in London, Southeast, the East of England, then it's UK Power Networks, which is taking the electricity to your home. Last summer... That company paid out a £237 million dividend to its owner, who is a billionaire in Hong Kong, um, for the second year in a row. So these companies, both National Grid for the transmission and the regional distribution companies, are private monopolies that are owned by foreign shareholders and businesses across the world. And we get no benefit from that. They're often very slow to connect renewable energy to the grid. And there's no rationale for having those in private ownership. If you brought those networks into public hands, you'd save £3.7 billion. And that's money that could be ploughed back into reducing bills or investing in the renewable energy that we need in the future. So for that bit of it, we would say public ownership ought to be happening across the board. There's no reason to have private companies involved.
0: How would we save £3.7 billion immediately? by renationalising or nationalising that bit of the supply chain?
1: The research shows that that money would be saved because, A, we wouldn't be spending money on dividends for shareholders, and B, there'd be a lower cost of capital. So it's more expensive to invest as a private company than it is as the government. So those savings are from both of those things.
0: Can I just stop you on that one, though, Kat, and ask you if we were to nationalise that middle part, as it were, of the supply chain, transmission and distribution, the government presumably would have to pay compensation to the existing monopoly owners of those companies and to shareholders as well. So certainly in the the short term, at least, there would be a cost, wouldn't there, to the taxpayer?
1: There would be a cost. And that's the bit of it that I think politicians can find scary. But I don't think we should be afraid of that cost, because our calculations show that it would take around seven years for that investment to pay for itself. So if you think about investments, that's actually incredibly good. It pays for itself in seven years, and then you've got money to play with in the public purse that we can use to make our energy system more affordable, to make our energy system greener. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We would have to buy out those companies. That would be something that would have to be negotiated and decided. But I think when this has been floated before as an idea, it's been suggested that it's this really big, scary idea that that we take back these companies. Actually, this is something that happens. Sometimes government steps in and says these companies would be better off working for the state, would be better off working for all of us in the country and so yes you would decide on an appropriate level of compensation
0: and again just so i understand this then you have at this transmission and distribution stage you have the national grid which is a a national monopoly which is responsible for transmission of the the energy that the likes of shell and bp have created in the first place and then you have this network of distributors around the country set up on a regional basis but for each region they are a monopoly. So in the northeast of England you can only have your energy supplied by one distribution firm. You can't say I prefer the one that's based in the West Midlands or I would prefer the one that's based in the southeast of England. That isn't an option.
1: Exactly. We don't get a choice about it. We don't even hear very much about these companies, which is why I think it's important to tell your listeners, did you know if you're getting electricity and you're based in London or the southeast, you are directly profiting a Hong Kong billionaire? Fine, people can profit from companies around the world. But why would we allow our sort of private monopoly of distributing energy to be something that we don't benefit from?
0: The counter argument often is that private enterprise is simply more efficient than industries that are run by bureaucrats that are run by civil servants
1: yeah that's just a myth there's been comprehensive research looking at publicly run and privately run organizations and there is no efficiency difference but in the case of where we have privatization obviously they have to make a return and send that return to their shareholders so what kind of deal is that for us and um, we would argue it's it's just not a very good deal at all so you've said that you would
0: nationalise the the middle part then of this three-tier energy supply system. What about the other two parts? What about the primary bit, the Shell and the BP end of things? And what about the customer-facing end?
1: In terms of supply, what we would say is now would be a really excellent time for the government to set up a new publicly owned energy supply company that can step in when the private supply companies are failing. So we've seen over the past few months, we've seen that the energy supply market is in absolute chaos. So many companies have gone bust, and they're collapsing. And what's happening is the government is either letting them collapse if they're small, or it's stepping in to bail them out. So for example, with Bulb, the government has set aside 1.7 billion pounds, which we worked out is over 1,000 pounds per customer to rescue that company without taking any element of public control over it. So it's a really chaotic situation right now. You've got these companies failing and you've got no tool, you've got no lever that government has to step in. So what we're saying is government should create a publicly owned supply company, which is not a particularly radical idea. So that already happens in places like Germany, France, Italy, the USA. So in Germany, two thirds of people are served by municipally owned electricity In France, it's two thirds get their energy from EDF, which is majority owned by the state. It means that government doesn't have to be wasting its money on supporting companies that are failing because the market's collapsing. But it also gives government a lever to do something about planning over time and making sure that households aren't being hit too hard when we have a crisis like the current one. So in France, the government has said it's absolutely vital that EDF takes the hit rather than households taking the hit. So bills aren't going to be rising more than 4% because EDF is taking a hit as the state-owned energy supply company. One
0: of the irony is Britain's energy supply, that Britain has said it doesn't want state-owned energy companies in this country to run our power supplies, but we have investment from state-owned power companies from abroad.
1: Exactly. And we've had this ideology now for around 40 years. We, we want privatisation so badly. When I say we, I'm talking about the government, I'm talking about the policy elites, not the people, because most people think that it doesn't make any sense. But the government is insisting on sticking to its ideological agenda of privatisation. And as you say, that means what we end up with quite often is state-owned companies running public services in the UK, making a profit And returning that profit back to their own countries to reduce prices for people there or improve services there, which is a very logical thing for them to do. But it makes absolutely no sense for us. We could have our own energy supply company that was working to plan for the future, make sure that household bills could be kept as low as possible and be a bit of a buffer in a system that is currently really chaotic.
0: So you'd have a state-run supplier, this is the, the end supplier who supplies to, to people's homes, in competition with the private companies?
1: We would. I don't think there's any need to say you're not allowed to choose another energy supplier. If people want to choose a different energy supplier, they can, but the default would be if the household hasn't decided on a supplier or if their company energy company goes bust, then they would naturally fall to the default publicly owned state supplier, which would have a duty to keep their bills low, make sure that they weren't being ripped off and plan for the future. And so you would have other suppliers in the market, but that publicly owned company would be providing a bit of ballast.
0: And your argument is that this state backed energy company would be no less efficient in the way it was run than a private energy company, but because it didn't have to return dividends to shareholders, it could presumably Be competitive on price, offer cheaper prices perhaps than the private energy companies.
1: Exactly. So we see that if you look across Europe, there's been a study comparing electricity costs, and that found that public system ownership is associated with prices that are 20 to 30% lower than private ownership, which isn't very surprising. And now's the perfect time to do it because you've got the private energy companies, the really big players, they're asking now for government bailouts, for government handouts of billions of pounds. They're struggling and so now would be a great time to say, well, let's have this publicly owned supply company that can do a good job for everybody and make sure that bills are being kept low, that can plan for the future. And by the way, we do have plenty of examples of very efficient, publicly owned organizations operating for the benefit of the public. So, for example, Scottish Water, publicly owned. The rivers and seas in Scotland are much cleaner, not just because of geography, but because of the investment that that company's making. Bills are lower. It's a very efficiently run operation. It's commercially run. It makes a profit and then it reinvests that profit back in improving services, which is what people want. It's worth
0: noting, isn't it, that with our privatised system, it is clearly regulated, there is a regulator off Gem, and our energy prices are not the most expensive in Europe. The evidence doesn't really sustain the idea that the British public are being ripped off by private companies.
1: Well, there's lots of different factors that go into energy prices. And, and it's such a complicated situation, you know, with this particular crisis, there are so many different things going on. So we wouldn't argue that public ownership is a panacea. But what we would say is this is a tool that could be used doing something like what France is doing and shielding households from price rises by having a publicly owned supply company. We could be running our Grid, our transmission, distribution, and public ownership, saving money, reinvesting that money back into the system, and we could also be using our natural resources for the benefit of people in this country, the way that countries like Norway are doing. And if you put all of those things together, that gives government some tools to work with. So instead of just you know holding its hands up and saying we'll lend you two hundred pounds per household, it can actually use some tools and levers of public control, public planning to deliver an energy system that that works for people.
0: Yeah, but I suppose the question is why you would do this, because, as I say, the the statistics show that we're somewhere in the middle for electricity prices compared to other nations in Europe. We may be slightly higher, I think, in terms of our gas prices, but we're not at the extreme end of these things. That That might suggest to some listeners that the system of regulation that we have at the moment works.
1: I think it's hard to look at the energy system and think that it's working. If we look at the billions of pounds that are going to oil and gas company shareholders that could be used to pay for household bills, but isn't. And when you look at how hard this is going to hit families across the UK, I think it really isn't working and it's going to be very unaffordable for people. People are going to have to be choosing between heating and eating and really feeling a crunch with this. And I think any government should be looking around and saying, what can we do? What can we do better to make this energy system work for people and work for the planet. So I think other countries are going further in looking at what they can do. So in Norway, they've promised to pay 80% of people's bills above a capped price. Now, one of the reasons why they can do that is because um, they have a sovereign wealth fund of $1.4 trillion because of the way that they've dealt with their natural resources and the way that they've used that, they've developed policy that means that energy is working for people rather than profit. So for every £100 that Norway collects in tax on its barrels of oil in the North Sea, in the UK, we collect £8. So <laughs> that doesn't give us very many options. You know, Just the same as Norway, we've won nature's lottery in terms of the natural resources that we had, both in terms of fossil fuels, but also in terms of moving towards renewable energy, wind, water, et cetera. And we've squandered it. We've let private companies at every stage make a huge profit at the expense of people now, people in the future and the planet, instead of actually planning and using the policy levers that we could use so that we have the money to make people's bills more affordable, so that we have the grids working for the system as a whole, so that we have an energy supply company That helps to manage when there are fluctuations in prices, you know, when things do change on a global level, a responsible government should be trying to look out for its people, not just looking out for the shareholders, taking natural resources and and profiting. You
0: fundamentally believe in public ownership of public services like this. But if we have good regulation, if we have tough targets for private companies, could a privatised energy sector ever meet your your desires?
1: Great question. I mean, I think if you look back at the last 30 to 40 years when we've had this ideology of privatisation, what we've seen is that, you know, we were promised, you know, when Thatcher said that she wanted to privatise and sell off our, our publicly owned assets and services, we were promised lower prices, better services, And those promises haven't happened. You know, we've seen higher prices, worse services and a lack of public control. And so what I would say is when it comes to public services, the clues in the name, they're supposed to be public services. We're not talking about, you know, the whole economy. Private companies do lots of things very well. Public services are a bit different and they're a bit special. And that's because... They are often natural monopolies. You know, they're often things where there it really isn't much competition. There really isn't a consumer market in any meaningful sense. If you're thinking about energy transmission, for example, or if you're thinking about standing on a train platform, you don't actually have a choice about which company you use. And so, it's different. They are things that we really need to live a good life. You know, whether you're talking about schools, education, healthcare, having the, the basics of energy and water transport and they're things where you know it's really about the future for all of us and we should all get some kind of say over what sort of service we have and what kind of future we have so private companies can do lots of things running public services the evidence shows they haven't done a good job and the principles suggest that there's no reason why we should expect them to do a good job because they're working for their shareholders not for us and there isn't really a market. Actually, most people in this country believe public services should be in public ownership across the board. So even Conservative voters think that water, for example, and the railways should be in public hands. People want the NHS to be fully public, even though private companies are making inroads, and so on and so forth. So this is a really popular idea, and there's plenty of evidence for it.
0: All of which begs the question then, why is no mainstream UK political party supporting the renationalisation of energy along the lines that you suggest?
1: I think they are scared, um, and I think they're scared because I think the media, um, the sort of mainstream media, did a, a really good job of suggesting that perfectly sensible measures were incredibly radical when these policies were put on the table in the twenty nineteen election. I think the story that was told was a very inaccurate one. And I think that's meant that we're really shooting ourselves in the foot in this country because, you know, we could be looking to other countries, things that are happening, very reasonable, sensible policy measures around running energy and other services in public hands. And I think people are nervous, you know, especially when it comes to things like compensating shareholders and taking back companies. But, you know, this is this is something that happens. It happens in other countries. You know, we're facing climate crisis We're currently facing cost of living crisis. We need, as a country, to be using all the tools we have at our disposal and we need to be bold in making our energy system work for people rather than profit.
0: Kat Hobbs from We Own It. I put some of the points she raised, and a few of my own, to Michael Pollitt, a professor of business economics at the University of Cambridge Judge Business School. What's his reaction to calls for renationalisation?
2: My reaction is
0: that's not an obvious
2: solution to the current problems in the energy market. I think the current problems in the energy market are largely due to the recovery from the pandemic, which has resulted in a sharp rise in global demand for energy. And so the reason why we've had such high prices for electricity and gas in the UK is largely due to what's happening in global wholesale markets,
0: particularly for gas. But at the same time, when people pay for their energy and they become aware that significant dividends are going, in some cases offshore, they may feel that at least some of those dividends could be used to reduce bills.
2: Yeah, well, of course, you know, one can always make that argument about private companies versus publicly owned companies. One can always say that the publicly owned company can operate at a lower cost of capital than the privately owned company. And, you know, to some extent, that's true in a simple accounting terms. But there are long run advantages to private ownership, which is why we allow private companies to earn higher rates of return. And the question really is, will are those longer-run advantages of private ownership going to outweigh the short-run advantages of getting the price down due to paying lower rates of profit?
0: What would you see, then, as the advantages of private operation of energy?
2: The advantages that we've seen since privatisation are that we have a much more efficiently run energy system than we had before
0: Do we? I mean, I I asked that question in all fairness. What's the evidence for that? I don't remember there being problems with gas and electricity energy supply before. I mean, by the time that
2: the state-owned companies were broken up and privatised in in electricity, perhaps the level of overuse of labour was twice what it was in the United States, where it was mostly privately owned companies. So, you know, this was a very, very inefficient system, which not only was employing too much labor, but had made significant investment mistakes in overpriced nuclear power stations. And there were big initial benefits to the privatization because the state-owned industry had been so inefficient. And the record across the world is that state-owned companies have not provided good security of supply and have been associated with chronic underinvestment and failure to maintain the quality of the system. So state ownership doesn't have a great track record globally. And in the UK, it had a pretty poor track record.
0: How is it that a country like the Netherlands then can maintain its energy supplies as a state-run entity and there appear to be no problems with the provision of gas and electricity in Holland?
2: Well, the simple reason for that is because those companies are run as if they're private companies. So, you know, yes, there are some companies... But but they're still state-owned and state-run, you accept Yeah, but they're, they're run as if they're private companies and they earn largely private sector rates of return. Uh, So, yes, it is possible to have a well-run state-owned electricity and gas entity, but what makes it well-run is that it's run on a commercial basis. So the real danger, I think, with nationalisation in the UK is that we haven't got a great track record of running nationalised companies on a commercial basis free from political interference. People have this idea that somehow state-owned companies are going to be well-run entities, but actually what it takes for that to happen is they have to be run like private companies.
0: According to We Own It, the, the the middle part of the supply chain, if you like, this is the transmission and distribution part of energy supply. This is the area where national grid operates and where you have regional energy companies who are effectively monopolies how can we have what's regarded as some as a market economy when we have monopolies
2: um, well i think implicit in your question is that a state owned monopoly is somehow you know good and a privately <laughs> owned monopoly was well,
0: in, 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 well I, I suppose implicit in the question <laughs> is is if it's if there's a, a state owned monopoly assuming that it's efficiently run then the proceeds of that efficiently run state monopoly can go back into the business or to help customers at times like these if it's a if it's a private monopoly and it's successful by definition it will be extracting value from that business and taking it away from customers, in some cases going, as we know, overseas to overseas investors or indeed to other foreign-owned utility companies. Okay.
2: Well, there's, there's lots where we could unpack yeah, in there. On. Let me say network rail to you. So there is a state-owned, really poorly run monopoly. And, you know, the reason why network rail is a poorly run monopoly is because we can try and incentivize its management to do the right thing, but because there's no profit incentive, actually it's very difficult to do that. So if Network Rail were a private company, which of course it used to be, then you know, if you fine them for doing something wrong or for mismanaging something, then that actually has a real impact. Whereas what happens if it's state-owned is actually you can't, Incentivize it to change that easily. That was one of the re- reasons that drove us towards privatization of the Royal Mail. That again, you know, in under state ownership, it was just not possible to have the same incentive regulation that's possible under private ownership. So, whenever we say a privately owned monopoly in the UK, what we really should be saying is it's a privately owned properly regulated monopoly is what we want. You know, that's why we have off-what, why we have offer, why we have off-gem. We know how to regulate privately owned monopolies with proper incentive regulation, whereas actually in the UK, I'm not sure we do know how to regulate properly state-owned
0: monopolies. It's an interesting point. I'm happy to divert into Royal Mail for a moment because I think... Many people's experience and mine certainly of Royal Mail growing up was of a a hugely efficient company who delivered post every day in the morning and collected it at regular intervals during the day from the end of my road. Now you don't know. What time of day the post is going to come, if at all? And you might be, if you're lucky, get one collection a day at the end of your road. So if you raise the spectre of Royal Mail, many people may hark back nostalgically to a time when Royal Mail appeared to be run from the point of view of customers much more efficiently than it is today. And they might extend that then to the likes of the National Grid and question, well, if we can run as we used to, Royal Mail efficiently, why can't we run national grid efficiently without having to have a private company running it the
2: fact is the situation changed didn't it for royal mail it had a golden age of junk mail (laughs) when demand went up for its product enormously and then it hit the internet and actually it was about to become a major loss making company and You know, what actually happened with Royal Mail was because we hadn't privatized it early enough, we didn't give it the chance that it would have had to become a global logistics firm, which it might have been able to do if it had been privatized earlier. So, you know, UK PLC missed out on the chance to take its mail service global. You know, that's a good example of us hanging on to public ownership longer than was justified.
0: How comfortable are you then with the profits made by the big six energy companies? So ahead of this record hike in bills that customers are now facing as part of a a broader cost of living crisis in the UK, the big six energy companies made more than a billion pounds in profit. Is that defensible?
2: One needs to look carefully at rates of return. So, you know, never just throw out a figure of an absolute amount of profit. Okay. What matters is the rate of return and that's closely monitored by the regulator. So, you know, there's, there's annual reporting on rates of return on the UK businesses of the big six, looking for consistent evidence of profiteering or monopoly pricing and In general, there's been very limited evidence of actual monopoly pricing. And there have been plenty of prolonged periods of low profitability for the big six. So I'm not sure there is consistent evidence that we haven't had anything other than a pretty competitive energy market in the UK.
0: Yeah, people will look at that and say... However, you judge it in terms of rate of return, that is a billion pounds of profit that is being generated by customers and taken away by the company, either in pay and incentives to its management or in dividends to its shareholders. That's money that could be used otherwise to reduce bills. You know, that's back
2: to my point. Yes, you can take some money out of business and reallocate it to customers. But then you will reduce incentives to invest going forward, even for a state owned company. One of the problems of that sort of way of thinking is that it it, you know it's a recipe for eventually ending up not making investments and sort of rationing
0: quality. You know, so So any government of whatever political colour, if it owned the energy companies, has the interest you would hope of the population at its heart and would seek to invest at appropriate levels. But when there is a return generated from that investment, it can go back surely into lower bills. Do you think I'm just being simple minded to say that?
2: You know, you'd expect me to say this being at a business school. I think different organizational forms are appropriate for different things. OK, so, you know, it's appropriate to have a nonprofit entity to run a hospital because, you know, the emphasis there is on providing care, access, not exploiting the customer. Whereas when you're running a commercial operation, which, you know, involves investing in assets which require return, then you should do that on a commercial basis, and private ownership is normally the most appropriate way of doing that with regulation. So if you're proposing taking more of the assets of UK PLC into state ownership, you need to explain why moving something from private ownership of a commercial operation is somehow a good idea. Because at the high level, when you think about what the state is doing... Now, what you're doing is combining the running of an electricity and gas firm with running hospitals and running schools. And that, I think, reduces the efficiency of the public sector because the public sector should be focused on running the institutions which it's set up to run a fit more efficiently than the private sector. So, that, you know, this is about, you know, where would you optimally allocate the control of, of crucial national assets? I would much rather have the government focusing on running hospitals and schools than worrying about how to manage volatility in the international energy markets.
0: Yeah, although I think we're not necessarily talking about managing volatility in the international energy markets, although we could ask questions, couldn't we, about the self-sufficiency of the UK in energy production and ask questions about whether the privatised model that we have of energy delivery in the UK is going anywhere near providing that the fact that we're so exposed to this volatility would suggest that we're not, but also energy is essential.
2: Okay. I think private. Okay. (laughs) Now, of course, you're saying something really interesting, which is that actually in general, the track record is that private energy companies are much better at providing security of supply than state owned companies. So, you know, in general, Private companies have got, you know, a strong incentive to maintain continuity of supply and quality
0: of supply. And yet, they get paid. Well, and yet, and <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but Michael, you, you, you're talking about this in an era of huge market failure. More than 30 energy supply companies have gone bust in the last two years so you're saying that private companies have got a fantastic record in ensuring security of supply well the 30 odd companies have gone bust over the last two years have manifestly failed in that task yeah the reason they went bust
2: was because they were poorly regulated and they were forced to charge a regulated price which was capped so yes These are private entities which went bust, but they went bust because of the...
0: So so the problem uh, was that they weren't allowed allowed to charge enough then, in your view?
2: No, well, that's why they went bust. And of course, this was, you know, the role of the regulator is to license companies in the energy sector, in electricity and gas, and there are legitimate questions to be raised about whether the license conditions to be an energy supplier were tight enough and you know whether people who were operating a supply business out of their private home with no capital really should have been allowed to set up a licensed energy supply business. Any stress test of the system raises questions about whether the regulatory regime has been appropriate or not.
0: Yeah, but I mean, um, the, the regulatory regime is such in this country, isn't it, that when one of these 30-odd companies has gone bust bulb the biggest of the companies to have gone bust of course it's the state that steps in isn't it so you have market failure you have as so often when we're talking about privatized companies you get shareholders and management making significant sums of money when things go well and it's the taxpayer who has to step in to bail out the company when things go badly yeah, I agree that um,
2: that regulatory regime was terrible. But of course, what?
0: what but but isn't that to, you know, isn't what, that isn't that when we're dealing with when we're dealing with some? Sorry to interrupt you, but when we're dealing with something as as critical to every person as energy supply, to leave that to the whims of the market and blame the regulatory regime is that not missing <laughs> missing something rather important, which is that people have to have this stuff in order to live and that the market is unreliable, is demonstrably in this country, unreliable in supplying it.
2: I I think you can't say that.
0: I mean, you know, I mean, you know, what you're saying is generally
2: not true. Is it, you know, people rely on supermarkets to supply them with food and there's nothing more essential than food. So the idea that, you know, the market can't supply goods that are essential is manifestly not true and the idea that if we'd had a state-owned retail company, that it wouldn't have been a financial disaster. That is also not true, is it? You, know, you only have to look at companies like Bristol Energy, where local authorities have set up their own retail company. And you know what? The local taxpayer is on the hook for a huge financial loss there. So, You can't convince me that government-owned retailers would have handled this crisis any better
0: than some of the poorly run privately owned ones have. But you take my point that that the model that we have allows shareholders and management to make significant amounts of profit when they are well run, but that when there is market failure, we're dealing with such a significant utility when we're talking about gas and electricity that the state has to step in and bail it out. So the taxpayer bears the downside. The shareholder enjoys the upside.
2: Well, that's where you, know, you need better regulation. The compensation regime that was put in place and the price cap were clearly not interacting very well. You had a system which couldn't withstand the stress test that it's had and has left the generality of customers on the hook for big losses, even though most customers, of course, are with responsible suppliers and haven't been with suppliers that have gone bust. So, you know, let's not exaggerate. It is all customers that have been in this situation. It is a large minority, but it is very much a minority.
0: One final thought. We only suggest that there should be a state-run supplier running alongside the big six as a kind of default so that when companies like bulb do go under instead of their customer base being handed on eventually, as it will be to one of the big six, that there is a state run operator in the market to ensure that if you like the market is kept honest and that prices are kept low. Would that be acceptable? Do you think?
2: That sounds like putting the taxpayer on the hook for even more money it sounds totally unnecessary and also you know the fact is what we want is better regulation of the private players in the market rather than the state entering into competition with privately owned firms that's even worse than the state just taking over commercial operations in a whole industry now you're proposing to have the state compete directly with (laughs) private companies again you know, I come back to my point about the, the optimal allocation of, of asset control within the economy. I want the state to concentrate on the sectors and industries and institutions where the state has an advantage in running them, and that can't mm-hmm. be in competing with commercial organisations. You know, that's, why, why don't we have a state-owned supermarket chain to help people in poverty? That sounds crazy.
0: I'm not sure it would sound crazy to everyone, but it's interesting. What's interesting to me about this debate, though, is that the volatility that you've talked about in the international energy market is cushioned in other countries, such as Norway and France, by greater government spending, taxpayer help. Given how essential gas and electricity are, do we need to think about more direct help for individuals who are struggling to pay?
2: Yes, for me, that's the way you handle poverty issues is you you directly help poor people financially. You don't distort the prices that they pay for the products that they buy. What distinguishes a developed country from a developing country is that in a developing country, you haven't got a sophisticated tax and benefit system. So you end up interfering in the way goods are produced and you end up giving away energy, often way below cost in order to supposedly help poor people but in our sophisticated economy with a you know extensive tax and benefit system we can target you know financial support directly on individuals who need help and we don't need to distort the price of electricity and gas for everyone in order to do that the reason why we should have higher Prices for gas and electricity is because gas and electricity are scarce, because they do produce a lot of environmental impacts which should be properly priced. You know, we need to separate the efficient thing to do from the appropriate distributional help for poor people. And I think something like nationalization confuses the two often. It says that somehow interfering with the efficiency of running the industry is a good way of helping poor people in our society. And that's just not obviously true.
0: Michael Pollitt, Professor of Business Economics at the University of Cambridge Judge Business School. I'm Adrian Goldberg, and you've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. Before we go, just a special word of thanks from me to all the people who help promote this podcast on social media. People like Autistic Doodler and Catherine Green. Every share on Facebook, every retweet really does make a difference. So cheers and thanks also to Harvey White who does so much of the production legwork behind the scenes. Just a reminder that this podcast is funded by subscriptions to our wonderful monthly paper, The Byline Times. You can find out how to subscribe at our equally wonderful news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. And if you have already done so, many thanks. Cheers for listening. See you next time.